Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Big DK Energy Podcast. My name is Danny K, or the DK and the Big DK Energy. And recently I've been trying to network with um, a lot more podcasters, not just worldwide, but within the local Orlando area. And it just so happens that I came across this one group called PodFest, which is an annual podcaster convention that takes place both here in Orlando. And through networking, I actually found today's guest. Having uh, helped clients both domestic and abroad for eight years, he mostly deals with social media, marketing, videography, photography, graphic design, the whole shebang and you know it. And having been a speaker guest at both PodFest and VidFest. We're going to pick his brains today to see, you know, what exactly he does in the social realm and how you can improve yourself, not just as a podcaster, but just your social media game in general. So please help me introduce today the founder and president, CEO, leader of Clover Media, Mr. Eddie Garrison. Thank you so much, Danny. I'll wait for the applause, the virtual applause to, to lower. I know it's it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Oh, sh- hey, calm down. We got we to gotta get on with our show. How are you doing today? Good, good, good. You said you're going to pick my brain, so uh, what are we going to do for the next 59 minutes? Well, to start it off, I guess we'll start off with a typical question that you probably get, which is how did your digital media journey start? Yeah, it was an interesting journey, I guess you could say. Uh, not Nothing out of the ordinary. I wasn't like kidnapped on a Somali pirate or anything like that, but <laughs> I went to school to be a graphic designer. And oh, when I went to gra- school? Pensacola State College. Okay, nice. When I graduated, I, I got my degree, so I came out as a graphic designer, and I worked for a, a SaaS company, Software as a Service, and they did uh, ACH process which is the term that's used to convert paper checks into electronic transactions. So they brought me on to do their graphic design and to write all their technical manuals and their training manuals. And about a year into it, I was like, this is really long form content that my fingers are getting tired typing all of this. <laughs> so I went to a Best Buy and I bought one of those little round webcams that you used to put on top of your monitor, you know, the little balls. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I and remember those. I started doing it as video content. And they came into the office, what I was doing it one day, and they said, well, why aren't you working? And I was like, I am working. Let me show you what I've done. And I took the first six chapters of this technical manual, and I converted it all into video format with graphic overlays. And they said, this is fabulous. We're going to keep you on for a lot longer so you can do all of this for us. Look at that. See, thinking differently, but yet at the same time going above and beyond. Yeah, I was, I was just trying because it was supposed to just be a contract work. And I wanted it to be a lot longer than that because I needed money. I was right out of college. And they kept me on for a year, and a year turned into five, and a five turned into ten. And eventually I worked my way all up to uh, director of marketing for this company. Wow, look at that. Just goes to show you that with any kind of driver ambition, even if you're not finding it, you still can find something good. You can. A needle in the haystack, you if can. you will. And you know, I mean, I worked, like I said, all the way up to director of marketing and I had no marketing experience at all. Just during my tenure there, they would send me to conventions to help set up the booth. And one day one of the sales guys couldn't make it. And I was there already. They said, do you want to man the booth? And I did. So for four years, I did their convention circuit. <laughs> so I just worked my way up now. Look at that. Oh, and speaking of conventions, you're a guest speaker at both PodFest and VidFest as well, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. I actually did the closing keynote this year at PodFest, so that was a lot of fun. Nice. So how did you get involved with PodFest? I knew Chris Kremitzos. Uh, He lives over in Tampa, but he is the founder of PodFest. And I think seven or eight years ago, he did uh, like this Central Florida Podcasting Association thing. And I was just getting into the business. And I wanted to start a podcast before I realized that my True Calling was video. <laughs> and I, he reached out to me and goes, hey, you know, we're doing this virtual thing. Would you like to be a part of it? And I said, yeah. And this relationship just kind of naturally progressed over a six-year span. And uh, next year when I speak again at PodFest will be my fifth year speaking on stage there. Oh, wow. That's funny because it's like it's only been alive for seven years, but yet you've been there for like a good... 80% of it, I yeah. was about to say, I, I don't know how to do math. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that you're able to do that, like, right off the bat. Still, that's pretty awesome, though. It's a lot of fun. So, exactly, how does one become a speaker? Like, do you have to become tenured in your own industry, or do you have to have some kind of luck where you just blew up overnight kind of thing? Or... I, I, th- I think a lot of... Not saying that that's you. <laughs> no, no, I get it, I get it. Uh, I think... Some luck plays into it. Uh, what a lot of people want to jump into speaking, they want to be on stage in front of 10,000 people making $100,000 the first speech. Well, I like the last part. I did too. <laughs> that doesn't happen unless you're already famous, right? That just doesn't happen. To me, there's three levels of speaking, and, I, and I've been a part of all three levels. One is you pay for everything and you just volunteer to speak places. That could be in your local chamber of commerce, your local uh, civic organizations, anything that you know that you can get in locally. I suggest starting there. So you're going to pay for everything. The second level, 
is people are going to invite you to speak and they're going to pay for your travel. They're not going to pay you to speak, but they're going to pay you to be there. So it's really no money per se out of your own pocket. And then the third level is everything is covered where they pay your travel and then they pay your appearance fee as well. So there's three levels, but I highly suggest people starting out in their local communities just for the networking opportunity, even if they don't want to make a career out of speaking. It's just a really good networking opportunity as well. So besides going to a chamber of commerce, how could one further broaden their network? Start to use live streaming. Live streaming is huge right now. On all platforms? On all platforms. Or the platforms that you have your audience on. Because, I mean, if you don't have an audience on LinkedIn, you shouldn't be on LinkedIn. Right. If if you're not on Twitter, then don't broadcast on Twitter. (laughs) I didn't even know they had a live stream on Twitter. They do, yeah. Twitter is like the one that I use the least, if oh. anything. So that just shows how much I know. It's a different beast altogether. Yeah, because I feel like they're good for like little jabs of yeah. words rather than full on posts. Well, I use it a lot for lead generation, like my lead magnets and mm. promoting my YouTube content. So on Mondays and Wednesdays, I post all of my lead gen, anything that I'm going to have people that is email gated to where I want to get their email or I want them to buy an actual product that I produce. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, I promote most of my YouTube and video content. And then on Friday, I'm usually either a guest or I'm just participating in a Twitter chat. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So I, I average probably somewhere between 35 and 40 tweets a day. Eek. But a lot of them are scheduled. Okay, good. Yeah, you did them ahead of time. Yeah. I can only think of a few celebrities who would rapid fire tweet like that. Yeah. Working smarter, not harder. There we go. And kind of going back to like the working smarter, not harder, it's kind of like social media. Yes. Yeah. People seem to not crap on it per se, but... They tend to do that because people say, oh, people have fun with it, so why do we have to pay you money for it? Right. But then it seems like with any kind of marketing now, it's all going online rather yeah. than like Mad Men, for example, you know, right. those big marketing companies yeah. where they put like a huge thing on a billboard somewhere. The funny thing to me is, is I see this question posed on Twitter, on LinkedIn all the time is, what is the one thing that people don't understand about your job that they get wrong? And my response is always, oh, it must be nice to get paid to play on Facebook all day. That's what people think social media is, is that I'm literally just on my personal profile just messing around. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. There is a science to social media, and there is a structure to how you need to approach that science, and it's 100% audience generated. If people don't understand when marketers like myself, like Danny Kay over here, say listen to your audience and you don't know what they're talking about, that's the person you need to hire. True. If you think it's expensive to hire a professional, wait until you let an amateur do it. Yeah, because then they'll cause more problems that you're going to have to buy to fix. Oh, and actually, um, that kind of leads into another question that I wanted to ask you, which was, of course, everyone says, or at least all the tips that I've at least gotten to grow the podcast has been to go for a niche market. Of course, that statement makes sense when people hear it, but what exactly does it mean to have a niche market? So there's always a saying that the riches are in the niches, right? And you can say niche, you can say niche, however you want to say it. Yeah, I was about to say, what is the proper way? I, I don't, I just call it an industry. <laughs> it's an go. industry. So it, there's there's a a way to look at it to go if you want to help restaurants okay that's an industry but niching down would be italian restaurants no even further than that i want to help line cooks in italian restaurants that is a niche i want to help people become general managers of restaurants that's a niche restaurant is the industry the individual people that work in them are niches so you can niche down that far Okay, because I was about to say, like, how far does a niche go? Because I get intimidated when I hear the word niche because I feel like if your audience is your niche, I feel like some niches are so specific where they only have like three individuals. Hey, if they're if they're willing to pay you 30,000 a month, that's that's the only audience you need. I would rather have 10 customers that paid me $40,000 a month each. So, you know, you're making however much that is. Yeah. As you hyped my math skill up earlier, I cannot (laughs) do that in my head. Then have a hundred that paid me a thousand a month, and that would be probably be more money, but it's more work. Yeah, exactly. And there's only so many hours you have in a day, and I feel exactly. like making a post that just takes a few seconds. But yes. I think the strategy behind making a post is what is kind of oh that that's the killer. That that's everything, and people don't understand that. It, it's not just about oh, and there used to be this old adage of just oh, put it on social media, just put it on social media. That's not really a, that's not a strategy. That's just, I, I can teach my dog how to do that. <laughs> right. I can get a pretty smart dog. Plus a video of a dog doing social media, it's going to go viral. Oh, that is. And, and that's everybody. I remember this one person actually reached out. Can you help us make this post go viral? I text back and I was like, is your last name Kardashian? That's my response to that, right? And like, no, I can't do that. The strategy part of it is not that you're paying me for the strategy. It's you're paying me for the 22 years in marketing experience that I have. Correct. See, I have my own little freelance videography media company actually myself. And so seven years ago, and yet people are still telling me, oh, you have a great camera and that camera takes great photos. And I'm like, sure, yes, it does part of the job. But then at the same time, I have seven years of experience That's behind right. that that makes it a good photo. There's all these YouTube videos that say, we give an amateur a $100,000 Ari camera and we give a professional a $500 DSLR. 
pick which one shot with which one. And they always pick the professional side, no matter what they're shooting on. Even on a little, uh, what's what are those cameras the, called? The point shooters. There we go. The one that you have to go to Walgreens and, you know, wait a couple <laughs> weeks for the film to develop. <laughs> Oh, the box cameras that actually had film in it. Oh, that's right. Those are awesome. They were like made out of cardboard. That's right. And then like the Polaroids, because even then that was kind of like pretty technical. Tech- it was. Technology bending forward, pushing. I don't game know. Chain. You know, they're still around. Polaroid is actually still around. It's actually starting to come back. So I was in Greek life at UCF. And so one thing that sorority girls love to do is take Polaroids. Of course. Even if it's just like as close in of their eye thinking, oh yeah, I remember this night. This is where we all blacked out. That's right. <laughs> I, I remember like it wasn't that long ago either. You could get like a printer to hook up to your iPhone. To, to, and everybody's like, this is the coolest thing ever. I'm like, it's old technology. It's called a Polaroid. <laughs> this has been around for 50 years. Okay, not to insult you, but were you there when the first Polaroids were around? No, I was, I was born in 1977. Wait, really? Yeah, I'm 45. Well, maybe it's because of the... The gray of the beard. Uh, yeah, not saying that you're like as old as my dad, because no, my dad actually had one of the first Walkmen. Oh, I remember getting the first car phone. Not the one, the first car phone in the world, but I mean, when I got a car at 16, I had a car phone. But the car phone was bolted into the car. It so, was a car phone. So how exactly did car phones work? Did they link to a satellite? Yeah, they, they would, no, they were cellular. So they were on towers. Oh, wait, they actually connected to towers? I didn't yeah. know that. There was no satellites for phones back then. I was about to say, I'm like, satellites wouldn't be the answer, but I didn't think cell towers. That was only like military applications back then. Maybe that's why. Hmm. Okay, well. That was when that was, when that was roaming. That's right, and that's why you had to like turn off your phone after a certain time, otherwise you'd be paying for roaming. Oh minutes. man, I remember like it, I remember it was like it was nights and weekends. You had to wait till five o'clock to use the phone because it was free after five and free on the weekends. I remember it was like two dollars a minute or something like it was something just ridiculous. Yeah, I remember text being like 90, oh, 90 yeah. cents per text or something like that. Yeah, I, I remember the pagers that used to be able to get texts on the pagers. pagers. Yeah. What about beepers? The beeper pager, same thing. Like I was born in the nineties, but I think my consciousness formed right after beepers came to gotcha. existence so like would there be like a little keyboard that you opened no up? no no no. if you were going to page me with a message mm-hmm. you had to call a service and the service would type it in and send it to me that's how that worked okay well <laughs> old school man 90s plus it's a way to make money because you got to pay the that's thing right. you got to gotta pay for the service yeah yeah whereas now people can drop text at a and it was funny because i remember it was like a hundred dollars a month it wasn't like cheaper than a mobile phone is now you know a mobile phone's like a hundred dollars a month or something or whatever but yeah, that's, that's what it was that's just the plan nowadays yeah <laughs> But then even then, you you know, it's included with like Wi-Fi, yeah, know, hopefully. Yeah. Then you got to pay a little bit more for a hotspot. Oh, well. I mean, have you ever had to use a hotspot like in a place where you had no coverage? I bring, I bring my hotspot to every convention I go to. I don't like getting on event networks because well, one, one of two things. One, security. Two, it's a... Uh, dog slow <laughs> just dog slow probably because everybody's on yeah, it yeah they're usually in a massive hotel so you got everybody in the hotel that's on their wi-fi and then you got everybody in the conventions on their wi-fi you look at a, a convention like podfest it's got two or three thousand people at it at a hotel that has two or three thousand rooms so there's between four and six thousand people all on this network and that's that's not conducive to fast internet oh definitely not especially with all the people here in florida because especially here in orlando yeah we're the tourist capital of the world for real i mean that's why ucf's um hospitality school yep. is one of the top in the nation or maybe even the world as well i wouldn't bet against it so podcasters are creators and so now i want to ask you what is your definition of a creator i struggle with this term because I'm like, what would you consider Picasso? Is he a creator or is he a painter? Nowadays, he'd be called a creator, but he's a painter. <laughs> yeah. This is what he is. He creates artwork. So that is the, the definition of creator. So, I mean, as long as you are creating something that is 100% your own, I believe that's a good enough definition for a creator. Original of, content. Okay, because actually the way you described it kind of described how the way you think of like an industry versus a niche. You know, yeah. creator is the is the industry, yeah. whereas painter is the niche. Right. I mean, I mean, I see people that are big on youtube that uses somebody else's content <laughs> true and there are those accounts that recycle memes that were yep. for example you posted on other sites and so it's like yeah the memes are funny but then again where do they come right. from? right and, and my example of that is uh if, if somebody doesn't understand what i'm talking about look at reaction channels they're reacting to somebody else's stuff that's not their stuff <laughs> right i mean it's literally just the reactions to the yeah. point where what's stopping us two from putting on a camera and watching crappy film and right. and just yelling oh my god that's, that's oh my Oh my god. That's what oh they're my doing. god. That's what they're doing. I don't consider them creators. I'm sorry. I just don't. Yeah. 
I mean, they're sometimes entertaining, but not creators. They can lambast me on Twitter all they want. I don't care. It's fine. I'm pretty sure people have been strung up on Twitter for worse. I've got 2,000 people blocked. So. Oh, <laughs> look at you. And that's, a, well, that's one thing that I don't understand about people that just take dumps on social media. They're like, all I see is bad stuff. All I see is negativity. Well, do you know what? how the social media algorithms work? They show you the content that you engage with and that your friends or followers engage with. So if you're seeing a lot of negativity and a lot of crap that you don't like, quit interacting with it and you won't see it. I don't know. Know, follow a puppy page or something there like that. There you go. And, B- and the block, animals. the block and unfriend list are your friends. <laughs> they really are because not gonna lie, there have been a couple of people that I've like not blocked them, but like I unfriended them, and all of yeah. a sudden I just felt like my brain was lifted by like 0.1 pounds. The social media algorithms are just a mathematical equation. There is an old adage from programmers called GIGO which is G-I-G-O, which means good in, good out. It works the same thing, same way on social media. If you put good into it, you get good out of it. Well, I'm going to have to figure out a way to do that with my uh, podcast clips. But um, eventually, something's got to stick, right? Yeah. But what sticks is what your audience wants to see. And the big thing about the strategy when it comes behind social media, and again, I'm going to go back to when I say listen to your audience, the way that you listen to your audience is you dive into your analytics monthly. And you see, okay, we posted 15 times this month. Let's look at the top three, what type of content they were, what was the brand voice in the copy, and create more of that content in 86, the bottom three. So you do that every month. So by the time you get to month eight, nine, and 10, all of your content is performing great because you've looked at those top three every single month. Now, obviously, there's going to be some fall off here and there. But again, if you're in your analytics every month, you see that fall off and you adjust to it. So I like to use the acroterm, uh, the acroterm, <laughs> the acronym CAR, which is C-A-A-R, create, analyze, adapt, repeat. That's what you need to do. I like that, actually. Is there such thing as a bad post then? Yes. Okay. That was very quick, but uh, tell me, what goes into a bad post besides just an off-kilter like photo of something that doesn't make any sense? A bad post, to me, really has little to do with the clarity of an image or a video or anything like that because that, that can that can quickly be edited. A bad post, to me, is when you don't read the room and you're tone deaf, especially if you're a local company, and let's say something, a, a, a local tragedy happens in your community and you're still posting about your daily special at your restaurant. Okay. That's a bad post. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. And I wanted to make sure I clarify that bad isn't in quality it's bad and it's a bad look for your company (laughs) okay that makes sense because you know like you said you take the post that worked and you hunker down on that correct does that mean like the post that didn't perform as well does that mean that that was wasted time no it's not wasted time because you don't know if it's going to perform well or not if you knew that if i knew that i'd be working at facebook (laughs) like i wouldn't zuckerberg and me would be buds right (laughs) every company in the world would want to hire me because i would know exactly what to post and that's just not right because your audience changes over time your audience needs and wants change over time one of the biggest things that social media does for a brand and this is should be the top thing that you look at social media as is it's supposed to draw brand awareness and value your company in what's called social currency and the way that you create more social currency and bank on that social currency is becoming a go-to resource of information for your audience so if you're a local business you need to hone in on what your local audience wants they want a happy hour from three to five you need to start amping up your happy hour if they want to know the lunch specials at 10 because their lunch is from 11 to 12, not 12 to 1 or 1 to 2, you need to know when your audience is online looking for things to do and become that resource of information. So when they go out for dinner or go out for drinks after work, the first person that comes to mind, the first brand that comes to mind is you because you're top of mind because you're showing them what they want, when they want it, how they want it delivered. And plus, correct me if I'm wrong, but the more traffic that you drive to said site, for example, that restaurant, I feel like SEO would Yes. Play better play for that. Yeah, and that's a, that's an a, I guess a little known fact in social media that it actually helps your SEO, especially if you're driving them to a website. Hmm. Okay, well noted for this podcast website. Did you ever think about starting a podcast with this kind of information? Yeah, but I'm more of a video guy. Okay, <laughs> so I do a, a a bi-weekly or I guess bi-month. I don't even know how to say that. Every other week. Okay. I, I do bi-weekly. A, yeah, bi-weekly. So I do a live stream. That's basically a podcast where I just talk about what's happening in social media or what I see performing best on social media. Because there's one thing in social media that I hate, and I hate this in any business, and that's what thing called best practices. There are no such thing for as best practices. There is a a broad overview of what you can start with on social media. But unless you understand your audience, your target demographic, what they want, how they want it, when they want it delivered to them, that's your best practice. So what works for you is not going to work for me. What works for me doesn't work for Disney. What works for Disney isn't going to work for Netflix. It's you have to determine your own best practices. And so I hate when everybody, when I see these videos, best practices for Twitter, avoid them because they're just going to tell you some crap that you can read online somewhere else. 
True. And then I guess it kind of goes back to just making sure we have time. We can talk yep. about one more thing before these cameras cut because, as you know, they 30 minutes. Yep. <laughs> so when it comes to looking at analytics and when your audience is most engaging. So, of course, they have, for example, I or when I first got into social media as like a profession and career, I just looked at those websites saying you should post at these times. Yeah. But obviously, as you just showed that it can vary. It can. And you look in your analytics. But when I start with a new brand, specifically with social media management, I always start them at 1051 a.m. That's my benchmark for testing performance. And the reason I start at some arbitrary time, it's actually not arbitrary at all. That's been found by uh, Pew Research Facility. I think that's them. That is when the, the people that work eight to five jobs are the most bored at work in the morning. And that's when they jump online is between 10.30 and 11. So I post everybody at 10.51 a.m. Okay, it's funny you mentioned that because I always post my reels right around the 11 mark. And that's when I noticed that like I can go from like 20 to like 2,000 yep. views. That's because that's the time of the day that everybody gets bored first at work and they jump on. Nice. But the second awesome. time for everybody is between 2 and 2.30. So if we were going to post in the afternoon, I do 2.11. I made a post late yesterday. I posted it at two and it still got the same kind of views. Now, granted, I used to think that one would have been like a great time to post because that's kind of towards the end of lunch for mm -hmm. most working people. But then when I put it at that time, it didn't really perform that well. Another thing that I believe that people miss the mark on when they're looking at their analytics is they don't look at the demographic of their audience. Because if you look at the demographic, when you're writing your copy, you need to write copy and using nomenclature, using the, the type of tone that that particular demographic uses. So if you have an older demographic, you don't need to use, use a bunch of slang. Yeah, you don't need to use a lot of slang like "nuff said" or they're they're not going to pick lit. up. Yeah, it's they're not going to pick up on that. To where if you have a younger audience, you can be a little bit more freewheeling with the copy and the imagery as well. So let's say that your demographic is female between 35 and 55 okay and your imagery and on your graphics you want to have a little bit of a softer tone and not as confused look with a lot of text messaging because just historically speaking female people do not like to look at that type of stuff so you need to look like at, lighter colors yeah light, lighter colors and just more upbeat look okay. and a vibe to it because that's what attracts females so i think a lot of people just miss the mark when they're looking at analytics and skip over the demographics of what they're doing they're looking at the best performing post and that's great you should look at that but you also need to know who you're creating that content for hmm. okay that makes total sense i guess because you know why pander to an audience that isn't even watching again let's say that your audience is, is 25 to 35 year old men you probably don't want to be using earthy tones and pinks. <laughs> That's right. just not you, what you honest, need to use. Honestly, you could use black and white and they'd it, be totally satiable. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we had to cut the cameras off at 30 minutes because actually, I don't know why it does that. Do you? Yes, I do. Because they would have to sell them as video cameras at that point, And that uh, is a different import tax on a video camera than it is a still camera. Oh. That is the reason that all DSLRs cut off at 30 minutes. Got it. Since the a7 III, the one that's on you, is a mirrorless, I've actually seen wires being put into it. And as long as it has some kind of power source, it yeah. can keep going. Yeah, but that's not a DSLR. It's a mirrorless. True. The DSLRs are the ones that would have a higher tax, import tax. See, this is why we have you on the show. <laughs> oh, here's something else that you kind of brought up before. Email. So, yes. of course, on every single site nowadays, you see put in your email and get like 10% off the next purchase or subscribe to our newsletter. What is the significance of email marketing? The significance of email marketing is it's a direct line of communication with your target audience. So it was, what it was, uh, six, seven months ago, I might not even been that long, Facebook went down for hours. And if you're putting all your eggs in that basket, you have no way to communicate with your audience because Facebook is down. And that's all you had was your audience on Facebook to where if you had a, a, an email list of 10,000 people, you could immediately email them and still keep in contact with them. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, of course there are other social media channels, but then again, like you said, it's directly to them. Whereas I feel like in the realm of social media, people can easily get sidetracked. Whereas email, yeah. it's kind of not all for business, but I feel like that's where the most serious message can yeah, get out. Yeah, and in email marketing too, you, people need to realize that you don't need to bombard them with sales stuff. You, okay. You, you need to have informational stuff. You need to have entertaining stuff. Now you can, like in the bottom, or you, you can have things that, you know, download this, download that. Check A call this to out. action. Yeah, call, any call to action. But you, nine times out of 10, if you're using social media to garner an email list and from these lead magnets, you need to already have an email drip campaign set up. And those need to be at least five to seven email chains long. So you need to have that many emails set up and ready to go automated. Oh, crap. Well, I definitely need to step my game up then because I'm just trying to navigate how to make the email look good. But right. 
Now I got to come up you, with you, you, you don't have to make it look flashy. I, I know all, everybody wants to get all into making their emails look pretty, but if you're not delivering the information, it doesn't matter if you hired Picasso himself to paint your email. If it doesn't give the information your audience needs, they're just going to delete it and not subscribe. That's fair. I can attest to that because I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> People just want the information that you promised them. That, and your promise is a subject line. Five ways to get more views on YouTube. That's your promise. And you need to get right into that content in the email. At the bottom, you can say, oh, by the way, here's a 10% off code for two buddy or something, you know, something like that. But it doesn't need to be business all the time. You need to mix in informational, educational, emotional, and entertaining content, not only on your social media, but in your email campaign. I was well. just about to ask, but okay. I never really thought about that aspect of it. Of course, yeah. I've had a couple of other social media marketers on the show. And of right. course, they've mentioned about how you've always got to vary your content because you can't always just be like, come buy our cookies yeah. or come buy our biscottis or something like that. Even for my own business, I probably send anywhere between 50 and 100 emails a week. And a lot of these are what we would consider cold contact and a lot of them are just email nurturing to where I can see that they read it and they clicked on a particular link so then I have them go over into a different campaign silo to where if they clicked on this link then they get this email these emails sent to them if they clicked on another link there's another set of emails that they get sent would, to would that be the landing page per no, se no 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 these are all just email communications got it and what exactly is the landing page because i've always seen that term being yeah used. the landing page is where you're driving people to so say that you're on facebook and you post something like do you struggle to get views on your youtube video well in this download i'm going to show you five things that you need to do to keep your viewers watching longer they go to a landing page where you kind of basically tell them what you're going to get and they have to put in their name and email when they click on submit they either go direct to a, a download or they get an email sent to them directly and immediately afterwards where they can download that PDF. And then you take their name and email information and put it into your drip campaign, into your email marketing software. Got it. The landing page is where you're cultivating or curating, however you want to say that, mm -hmm. all their information. So I'm guessing something that can lead to a landing page would be called the sales funnel? The very tip top of a sales funnel. So it goes way further? Yeah. Oh yeah. Way further. Describe for us if you can. I mean, yeah. So a lead magnet is the very top of the sales funnel. It's like where you're just putting it out there in the world for people to download whatever you want them to download. Kind of. Ooh. Yeah. To the lure in the water. So once you hook one, you get them to your landing page. And when they give you their name and email information, that's the hook, right? So you hook them. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a little bit lower level in the sales funnel. Now, once you get their mail, their email and their name information, that's when you start them into your drip campaigns. Now your drip campaigns, you're going to have one that's just kind of an overview you mm -hmm. of like everybody gets them but then you have it segmented to where if they do click on a particular link in your email kind of pushing them to this is a product page or this is the service we offer the email marketing software that you use knows this and then automatically moves them into a different drip campaign that says they clicked on this particular product so we're going to start an email chain talking about that product where if they clicked on another product they go to a different email drip campaign and it talks about that product and that gets them lower into the sales funnel and these are where you really get into qualified leads because this is where you're going and asking them for the direct purchase. So everybody goes through a buyer's journey when they're doing anything. It doesn't matter what you're trying to buy. It doesn't matter when you're buying it, but it goes awareness, consideration, and decision. So all of your content needs to be focused on those three levels from social media to email to your website. That was a bunch of information. Yeah. But all good stuff. Thank you. I give all the, the claim or the fame to Twitter because it's character limited. So if you don't think that you're good at writing copy, start to write your copy on Twitter because you only got 280 characters. If you can get it in 280 characters and convey your message, take all those tweets that you do and make that an email because that's very concise. Oh, okay. So the email doesn't have to be a whole novel long. I have an email that's four sentences. That's it? That's it. And it's still just as effective. Yep. I guess sometimes shorter is sweeter. Yes. Because most of the people that you're looking to deal with are the, the major purchasing decision makers, either in their business or in their household. And they're probably busy. They don't have time to read a college dissertation in an email. It needs to be clear. It needs to be concise. And it needs to get to the point quickly. Okay. Because I always used to think that if you just put in too little, of course, what is the difference between it being minimalistic to the point where it's effective to the point right. minimal, minimalistic where it looks like no effort was put in? Right. So the... The best way that I can describe a, a very short, sweet, concise email that gets the point across is you need a good email subject and one that actually gets the best open rate that I've read books on, that I've read Pew Research is quick question. That's the subject. Two words, quick question. You go in and you say, hi, Daniel, just noticed, insert your brand here. Really love what you're doing with insert product here. Did you know that we just helped insert brand here, get to this metric here? Would love to help you insert their brand here, do the same. Can I send you over some meeting times next week? Thanks. Boom. That's it. That's an email and a very effective email. 
That was a very effective email. Yeah. Now it's not verbatim, obviously. I'm yeah, gonna, of course. I wasn't going to read an email, but but like two to three sentences, maybe yep. a fourth if needed. So what you do is you make sure that you know that you're complimenting them and acknowledging them and their brand. You tell them something that you have done, and then you offer times to meet and you thank them, and that's it. That's all they have time for. Got it. And it's kind of like even if they don't fall through with it, there's some kind of formality. They're saying, oh, they said thank you. So maybe in the future, if I do need them, I guess that is a way of putting your name out there. Yep. And you don't have to make it so professional that it looks like a form email. Write it like you were writing your brother, <laughs> literally. You don't have to put, we did this. You just say, recently we helped. You don't have to say we, you just say, recently we helped this company do this and reach this metric. Mm-hmm. Would love to help your brand do the same thing. And then say, would you like to me to send over some times next week to meet? And that's, that's the end of the email. Now, here's a trick that a lot of people don't realize that they should be doing. When you're in these drip campaigns, you don't need to be sending them as different emails. And I know that sounds weird because I just t- talked about different emails. Right. They're different copy, but you reply to your original email. So it stays in the same email chain. So every email you send is in one screen that they can see. Okay. I'm just trying to envision it. So instead of getting like, if, if you, let's just make the math easy and say you send them four in your email drip campaign, you don't send four individual emails to that same oh, person. So if they okay. don't, if they don't respond to the first email, mm-hmm. you hit reply all and you, then you change the subject line, but you put RE and it has the reply thing, mm-hmm. which helps you get around some of the spam filters as well. Oh, look at that. And try not to send them from your main business email account. Why not? Because if it goes automatically into their spam folder the first time, none of your emails are going to get through. Even if you go tell the person, hey, could you make sure not to move my emails to the... Yeah, because nobody's going to do that. <laughs> because for one, they have no idea who you are. So why would they listen to you in the first place? Okay, well, so that's you, very good So you just part. you just say, be like, uh, like I'm Clover Media, so I have a Clover Media at Gmail. That's where all my emails come from is Clover Media at Gmail. Because Gmail gets through spam filters. Oh, okay. Now, I still have my professional signature in there just like it is from my main account but it's coming from a gmail account okay yeah i guess that would make the most sense because gmail is kind of like the most forefront email service there is yeah even yahoo gets caught with spam because i tested them all what are the other like sites that i mean you can do like clover like ours is clovermedia.com but i have clovermedia.org clovermedia.io so i can send them from those as well so these off ones often get through because the spam filter has no idea what .io is (laughs) So it's looking at it, but it knows yahoo.com. It knows insertyourbusinessamehere.com because it looks like spam. Okay. You can see a lot of even bigger companies. I remember Facebook. I don't even know if they say it was, it was facebook.help.com. It wasn't facebook.com. Oh, facebook.help? Yeah. Oh, I, that's weird that they wouldn't have their own it would URL. Get caught, it would get caught in spam filters. Okay, I guess anybody could post as Facebook technically. Oh, look, look how many spam that you get, just random like hackers that send from Facebook all the time. Those bots? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's a situation that you've had to deal with where something was just body and... Instagram is the world's worst for bots. It is. Any time that I post anything, every, every single day, I have to log into every client's Instagram and delete at least five bot comments. Right when I know they post, I just go ahead and pick up my phone and go in there and just start reporting them as spam because I know they're coming. Do you know where bots come from exactly? Are these people or is no, it... they're just click farms. And like, are they based out of like some country? Yeah, like... I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but yeah, some... Uh let's say a long way away from the United States. Okay, I was about to say, it's it's not like around no, the corner in like no. some abandoned shed somewhere. No, they're in abandoned sheds, but they're not around here. <laughs> okay, got it. Because actually I was watching this series on YouTube about like news stories in Asia and apparently like one of them is like click farms in like, oh, yeah. China. Where they literally have 10,000 iPhones in there. Yeah, and they literally just... Plug through that. Yep. So that kind of brings me back to one thing. I realized that one thing that helped my algorithm for my reels for my podcast is when I not filmed, but like I edited them vertical wise rather than widescreen. And I realized that on the difference between the post that I made the day before and the one with the new format the day after, the post from the day before was like 512 views, Mm. whereas the other one got like 2,000. Yeah. And so the thing is that random accounts started following it, but the thing is that I never paid for any promotion and I never followed a bunch of accounts so did that reel do well or was it just playing to the algorithm and it was just eh so if, if, the, if the reel did well, it was getting picked up by the algorithm because the algorithm, again, is just a mathematical equation. That's all it is. People think like, Facebook hates my content. No, your content sucks. Your audience hates your content, not the algorithm. <laughs> the algorithm is nothing more than a mathematical machine that feeds off data points. And those data points are the engagement that your audience gives it. Now, there are certain engagements that the algorithm favors more. And, when you, and I'm going to speak specifically to Facebook at this point. You want shares first, comments second, everything else last. I was about to say, likes don't seem to... Likes, like when I do a social media audit, I give 
shares a certain number. Like I give shares 10, a score of 10. Okay. I give comments a score of five and I give everything else a score of one because I have, I've done all the research and I see a post that has two shares that'll reach thousands of people. And I see a post that has 50 likes that reaches hundreds of people. So just by extrapolation, you can see that shares mean more than likes. Awesome. Would you say the same kind of works for Instagram as well? Yeah. Or? Well, the biggest one on Instagram is saves. It goes saves, shares, comments, then in, like, then engagements. Okay. I'm or gonna... interactions. Sorry. Okay. What exactly is an impression? So, for example, um, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So there's a there specifically on Instagram. Instagram. There's reach, and then there's impressions. So reach is the actual number of accounts that are reached. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I was. Is there a plural for reach? Yeah. No, like that lots. is it. Yeah. And then impressions is how many times your content was viewed. So your impression are usually going to be higher than your reach because the same account may have seen your content more than once, but that still counts as an impression. So nine times out of 10, your impressions are going to be maybe not a lot more than your reach, but they're typically always going to be more than your reach. Does that mean that number is nigh or something like that? This is my thing when it comes to analytics. One, you need to pull it from the same place every single time. So if you're using a third-party scheduler, pull the data from your third-party scheduler and don't pull it from the platform. Or even if you're using a third-party scheduler and you're pulling your data from the platform, always pull it from the platform. And then you have to come to an understanding which KPI do you want to measure? Do you want to measure reach or do you want to measure impressions? And KPI don't is? Key performance indicators. So don't don't go, oh, well, my impressions are higher, so I'm going to use those this month. Oh, my reach is higher, so I'm going to use that this month. Don't do that because you're looking at your social media with rose-colored glasses, especially if you're doing it for somebody else's brand. If you're telling them that you're reaching this many people, that's what you need to do is the, the reach. If you're telling this is how many impressions your content gets, that's what you need to tell them. And you need to tell them what you're showing them. People don't understand. And they're not going to ask a question because they don't want to sound stupid. Right. But so just even in my reports, it actually says impressions. This is how many times your content was seen. Reach. This is how many accounts your content reached. So going back to the uh, third-party sites, what are your favorite social media scheduling sites? Uh, of course, I know about Hootsuite and Tailwind. Yeah. But uh, what are your, what are your some of your favorites? I use Agorapulse. Agorapulse? Mm-hmm. A-G-O-R-O-P-U-L-S-E. Oh, Agoro. Yeah, okay, Agorapulse. Does that allow you to post reels to Instagram? Very soon it will. Yes. Oh, thank God, because Very soon it will. you thought by now the, these uh, social media sites would allow that. but You'd think that Meta owns them all and a reel on Instagram could be 60 seconds, but a reel on Facebook is only 30. Right. What's and the difference? Actually, <laughs> I don't know how timely this uh, podcast will be, but very recently they just allowed 90 second reels on Instagram. <laughs> I know, and which is funny because they really already had that platform. It was called IGTV. So why, <laughs> why didn't they just keep it? Yeah, I noticed that IGTV is kind of it's gone. dead. Yeah, it's yeah. gone. Was there any reasons why specifically? Because Instagram, I refer to it now as InstaTalk. So they're just trying to be TikTok. So TikTok doesn't have an IGTV sort of feature. So they've gone back to just mimicking what TikTok does. Got it. What's your opinion on TikTok? Do you like it? I'm going to piss a lot of people off when I say this, but I'm not a 15-year-old girl, so I'm just not on it. Fair enough. (laughs) Even the cooler ones, I'll see them on Instagram the next day because everybody just repurposes them on Instagram. Right? There's actually a joke saying, I don't watch TikTok. I watch them two weeks after they're posted like an actual adult. Adult. I saw that. I love it. I wish that was a shirt. I would buy it. Why don't you make it a shirt? Oh, somebody will probably sue me over IP intellectual or something. I don't know. I don't know, make it look fancy and then just put TM Clover Media. Boom. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. See, Draw my company into hot water. As long as you claim it first, then yeah. everyone's got to battle you for I, it. I do have a funny story about that if I, if I can just tell you. Yeah, go ahead. So my, the name of my company is Clover Media, but the, my full name, the, like the LLC is Clover Media Consulting because there was actually already a Clover Media. Mm-hmm. I just go by Clover Media. And I had just signed up this new restaurant brand here in, in a, a suburb of Orlando. And they were working for a month or whatever, and they sent me the next month's payment. And I never got it. And I'm like, all right, what's going on? I just went up there and I shot content. So I let a few weeks go by and I called them up. I was like, hey, you know, I, I, I hate to say it like this, but you haven't paid me this month. They're like, no, 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 we sent the check. I was like, okay. And then they sent me a copy of the check. And I'm like, well, I never got it. They sent it to Clover Media, the payment processing company. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> instead of Clover Media consulting the social media. Company. Okay, I was about to say, they must have been very happy. Hey, we just got $2,000 free dollars. Well, it was it was funny because that's the point of sales system they used was Clover. And oh. all they saw was the Clover bit on the invoice. So they just sent them another check. Well, here's the thing. They cashed it. They did? <laughs> yeah. Bastards. I know. I bet they were thinking, is this like an extra like tax refund? Yeah, I was like, what is going on? I, I mean, I got my money. But. Okay, well, I was about to say, hopefully you got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, all good stuff. And uh, since we're coming up to the 20-ish minute mark, I think we're just going to cut here and then cool. go straight into the, to the last round. Lightning round? Lightning round. Like it. Man, this has all been some great stuff, Eddie. Thank you so much for blessing us with your knowledge again. No, I don't, I'm not blessing anybody. Thank you so much for having me on. You're blessing me with your knowledge. So oh, that's, that's great. A, that's already one person. If, if anybody gets value out of it, I'm, I'm glad to be here. 
Excellent. Well, we're about to get some more value Here out of you because we're going into the last part of any big DK energy episode, which is actually my favorite, which is the bonus question round. It's 10 questions that I created for you, but it's appropriate enough where it's fun, but you'll still have clients afterwards. Nice. Okay. <laughs> I don't want anybody calling me up. I heard you on the podcast. Exactly. So that being said, are you ready, Mr. Garrison? I am. And I don't know these questions. I just want everybody to know. I have no idea what he's going to ask. Excellent. All right. So question number one, if you were selected to give a TED talk, what would the topic be and where would the talk take place? My talk would be about fully understanding the Facebook algorithm and it would take place in Facebook's headquarters. <laughs> oh, and that's in Seattle? Palo Alto. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Oh, it's Microsoft that's in Seattle, yeah. probably. That's why yeah. I got confused. Okay. Actually, that's a great place to do it. Would you want Zuckerberg sitting front row and center? I want him on the stage so I can look at him and let him nod at me that I know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> you got to press a button to say confirm nodding. Instead of Alexa. Hey, Zuck, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Question number two, describe one of the time you said to yourself, I was meant to be a digital creator. The time, oh, well, I, I think when, when I told the story earlier, when I was working at that ACH processing company, and when I showed them the first cut of videos, they weren't even edited yet. And without patting myself on the back, it wowed them. I mean, they sat there literally with their mouth and their eyes wide open. I said, I may have a knack for this. <laughs> and that's just what put me on the trajectory until I'm sitting right here in your studio. Look at that. See, funny how life works out yeah. sometimes. Number three, you're setting a concert for your favorite charity. Who are the top five headliners and what's the charity? Top five headliner. I know the charity. It would be ASPCA. Uh, anything to do with the make sure animals are okay. I'm a big believer in that. I guess the headliners would be some of my favorite bands. Uh, no Attire Necessary, The Bouncing Souls, Green Day, the original Blink-182, and <laughs> Poison to round it out. I actually just saw Poison this weekend. I, I know. I saw them. Yeah, we were there. Oh, you were there? At the there? stadium, yeah. Oh, wait. Uh, where were you? Uh, which concert? Were you in Miami? No, no, no. In, uh, yes. I'm sorry. Jeez, yes. Okay. I was actually the one in Miami yeah. as well. So look at that. We were in the same place and we yep. didn't even know. I'm an 80s baby, man. I grew up on the hair bands. When I was in kindergarten, I wasn't really introduced to any kind of music back then. Of course, like I knew some of the songs that were popular at the time, yeah. of course, NSYNC and Britney Spears. <laughs> but my dad showed me I Ran by Flock of Seagulls oh, and yeah. then Thriller by um, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. And then Everyone Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. And those yeah. are the three songs that kind of were my gateway into the world of 80s music and so then you said in sync everybody seems to think that i look like joey fatone so. <laughs> i honestly see it and it's funny because he's actually from orlando i know i see him, i don't see him all the time but i see him quite regularly at the airport oh really yeah do people still recognize him yeah you're an in sync well yeah. what's funny is I, i've sat with him in the delta crown room before here in orlando's airport and the first time i met him here in orlando at the airport he sat down and we both kind of locked eyes and he went <laughs> And he, he, he kind of gave me this weird wave, and he ended up coming over, and he's like, man, does anybody ever tell you you look like me? And I was like, I'm older than you. You look like me, dude. <laughs> That's great. You should dress as him for, like, Halloween or something. I, I am right now. Okay, <laughs> there we go. Just, um, you got to get, like, some of those frosted tips oh, that they I had back in the day. I had them. My mom was a hairdresser in Korea yeah. or before she moved here, and so she actually dyed my hair blonde. My, so. my wife is a hairstylist. So. Both Korean hairstylists. They are, yeah. They're both Korean hairstylists. That's wild. Look at that. Number four, if you could have a panel of three figures in history that inspire you, who would you have on? Socrates. He just inspired so many people. And there's a quick acronym, too. It's called SPA. So S-P-A-A. Socrates taught Plato. Plato taught Aristotle. Aristotle taught Alexander the Great. So he has like this lineage of people passing on his knowledge. I read a lot of books about him in college, so he, he inspires me. Hunter S. Thompson, the writer that did like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I would want him there just because of who the hell he is. <laughs> he is a wild man. Would, would he be sober? No. <laughs> and he would have to be alive. Well, obviously, you Socrates br- isn't alive. Well, you can bring people back from the dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Truth be told, like one of, one of my heroes is, is my mom because she, she started a business from nothing and, and ran it up to a, a lot of money. And just to have her be on my side and being an entrepreneur and having this wealth of knowledge to pull from, it, it would be tough to say not to have her on that panel. Okay. Well, what if she was like, Eddie, you have fun with your friends. You don't need me there. <laughs> mom could be an honorary guest. Mom could be, he should be the moderator. I, you know what? I would, I would have Christopher Columbo and, and pe- for people who don't know, everybody knows him as Christopher or Columbus. Columbus. Uh, I would just ask him, how did you get that far off course <laughs> right? <laughs> trying to find the Galapagos Islands and end up in North America? Right. Just ask him that one question. <laughs> right. Then he can leave. Because, you know, he has also some kind of baggage to him that like... Yeah. But still... And I, I always thought it was funny that there was a GPS company named after him. And I'm like, he got lost. <laughs> right. not yeah, a that- good... That's not a good look. See, I used to have a weird theory about GPSs that they somehow work hand in hand with gas companies because they take you on the longest routes possible. I have no doubt in my mind they do that. And for people that don't know anything about Tollando, I think they're involved in that too. <laughs> 
Uh, what are you going to do, right? Number five. Who would you love to have a dream collab with for any kind of project? And what would that project be specifically? There is a, a YouTube channel called uh, Film Riot. Yeah, the Connolly brothers. Ryan Connolly and I forgot his brother's name right off the top of my head. I would want to collab with them on a short sci-fi film that we shoot in secrecy during operating hours at Epcot at Disney. Wait, so like you guys work the rides at Disney and then like somehow in this back room there's like a side. No, 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 no. We just go there and shoot a film in the crowds, in the rides that nobody knows we're making a film. Oh, okay. Got but it. We're, it's like we're one of those jumping things. behind hedges and everything because there's a spaceship blasting at us that nobody can see because it has to be CGI'd in later. Oh, okay, got it. It's like one of those quote unquote prank videos but yes. it isn't really a prank. Okay. Right. But it's wholesome and people get a good I laugh. I think that'd be a lot of fun. As long as people aren't getting hurt, I think a prank is good. Yeah. Because there are this, there are some where it's like they can get kind of and um, shout out to that youtube channel if you just want to see like really good video creation go check them out <laughs> i definitely will go check them out after this i mean i've, I've heard of them but you know i've yet to watch like deeply watch their yeah, stuff because i'm thinking good. of another channel that does video tutorials they're mm -hmm. like from belgium they don't actually do tutorials they actually show you how they film their short movies mm -hmm. yeah i'm yeah, just saying like, that this company they like give you tutorials on oh them. okay I got you. yeah they're from belgium i really forgot what they're called yeah. is there two of them mm -hmm. i know who they are cinecom.net that's, that's it. what it is i know who i was like i've seen them they're funny number six dream vacation and itinerary I've always wanted to see Japan. And when I go on vacations, I don't have itineraries. So my dream vacation would be to Japan and not have an itinerary. Okay, well, what are some things that you must do while you are there? I want to get engrossed in the culture. I don't want to stay at, I mean, I do want to stay at a very nice hotel, but I don't want to just go to the restaurant that the hotel tells me. I want to go get lost in some small village and I go eat dinner with a family at their house. If anything, not that I've been to Japan. I've actually lived in Korea for a little bit, not yeah. saying those two are the same. But so when I'm editing these podcasts, actually, yeah. I watch a lot of videos of street food being made. Yeah. And so like, I feel like getting ramen at like one of those carts that's pulled by like an old man would yeah. be like the equivalent of eating from like a really crappy looking food truck here. But that yeah. just means the food's better. Oh, it, yeah, it has to be. I mean, there's that one guy, I don't know what country he's in, but he's a Michelin five star as a food vendor. And like everything on his menu is like three dong or whatever their currency is. I'll have to think about that. Oh, and also is engrossing yourself in the culture uh, another code word for Nintendo World? No. <laughs> no. Because we'll, we'll get that here eventually, so I don't yeah. need to engross myself on that. We might even get that here. In here, Orlando. yeah, yeah. Okay, Japan. That's always a popular destination, but still, it's a whole island. So, you know, there's that whole little sliver, yeah. and then there's that huge landmass on mass top. Up at the but top, that yeah. huge landmass is called Hokkaido, and yeah. that was just added, like, sometime in the 20th century. Yeah, I was going to say in the last 100 years, yeah. I don't know. That can gives you that gives you another option to check out. Plus, it's, like, a whole different group of people than compared to, like, mainland Japan. Yeah, and, it, like, full disclosure, I mean, I've been to Europe. I've been to Russia, so I don't need to go there again. Yeah, exactly. That wouldn't be a dream vacation anymore. I would go back in a second, but that's not, like, a dream vacation. Understandable. Number seven, name three of your favorite songs of all time. Good Riddance by Green Day. Look What the Cat Dragged In by Motley Crue, honestly. And recently from a film, and the film isn't even that old anymore, but it's, it quickly became one of my favorite songs. And it's from um, The Greatest Showman, and it, it's the song This Is Me. Okay. I think that's a very appropriate song for any generation to listen to. I listen to that because I'm not a big musical person, but yeah. I was on the plane and they didn't really have a great selection. And I thought, huh, everyone's hyping this up. And um, honestly, I didn't know that Hugh Jackman could sing that well. Yeah, I know, right? I remember when that, when that, when that movie came out, my wife and I went every day for 10 days straight to Disney Springs and watched it. Every day for 10 days. At that point, you could have made like a little blog series. It's like, day yeah. two, after seeing it a second <laughs> yeah. time, I found this one part that I did yeah. not like. So There's not a lot about that movie that I didn't like. That's It quickly went up into my top 10 of all time movie list. Nice. Number eight. What is a far-fetched goal on your bucket list? <laughs> it used to be retire at 40, but <laughs> 45. <laughs> 100 million in revenue in a year. Okay. I think that's a great goal to shoot yeah, for. That's far-fetched, so... Well, why not? Be even if you fall short of it, then, you know, that's still yeah, like some yeah, kind would, of millions no, of dollars. I would, no, I'd be like, 999, no, I needed 100. <laughs> yeah, 999 million dollars. I'm giving it all back. <laughs> Screw this, yeah. That's it. I'm going to go live on a boat somewhere in yeah. the Pacific Ocean. Yep. Number nine. If you could live in a world based on your favorite show, movie, or video game, what would it be? Star Wars. Okay, fair enough. That was easy. Oh, yeah. What's your role in Star Wars? Are you like, are you a caravansman? Are you a Jedi? Are you... No, I don't. No, I would be a Sith. They have the cooler stuff. See, that's the thing. It's like morally, Jedi, I guess, quote unquote, are 
better. Well, if you actually take a look at like the history of Star Wars, yeah. you learn that some Jedi are yeah. not exactly yeah. that great. It may, if I wasn't a Sith, I wouldn't be a bounty hunter because I mean, come on, who doesn't like Boba Fett? He's got some cool stuff going on. Also, what's the name of the guy with like the blue face and the red eyes? He has a cowboy hat. Oh, Cad yeah. Bane. Cad Bane. Yeah, with the yeah, with yeah. like the two two. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty badass. Yeah, he is. It's kind of weird because I see Mandalorian culture and American culture kind of parallel. <laughs> yeah. Because well, one not to say we're obsessed, but you know we like our weapons. There's a lot of direct correlation that you can make between Star Wars and our society now that I will stay away from. When I was much younger, they had an entire documentary about the parallels between Star Wars oh, yeah. and actual yeah. real life. In fact, actually, Jedi is considered an actual religion. Yes, it's like it is. Ten thousand plus yep. followers. Yep. Oh, or another cool option would be a gray Jedi, kind of like in between both. Where yeah. It's just like, I'm not good or bad. The Force just is. I think that was a young Anakin. He was kind of in between. He was caught between that. I think what turned him to the Sith was sand because it's coarse and it gets in everywhere. Uh, probably. You're a very fun guy to speak ah. to. So much so that we're actually already at the last question. Oh, let's do it. Yep, and it's actually a question that I ask everybody, but the answers always vary. And that is, what is your best, most recent accomplishment? Honestly, my best, most recent accomplishment was being asked to be the closing keynote speaker at PodFest. I had never been the closer before. And I've always been the guy before the closer or a couple of people before, but I was the guy at that one. And that was a big accomplishment for me, even though I played it off a little bit. And like through the week, everybody was like, oh, when are you speaking? I'm like, I'm, I'm last. I'm the keynote. I'm the closing keynote. What are you talking about? <laughs> Save the best for last, right? Like, like it was no big deal. Like I'm that always. But it, inside, I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. Like a, on some level in our industry, I felt like I had made it at that point. I mean, yeah, especially if you're like the last, which means I was the last person of the conference to speak. I was the the closing keynote. Not to jab at anyone who spoke before you, but I feel like like the last are usually the people who have the most important things to say. So what does that say about you? I like to think so. (laughs) When I talk, there's a thing when I talk, like I, I alluded to earlier, a lot of speakers try to do this really, really broad overview where I like to get down into the weeds as quickly as possible and give you stuff of value that you can use the day after that you heard me say it. You're the kind of guy that when someone asks you for advice, you're going to actually tell them rather than go, yeah. to, oh, there's plenty of videos on yeah, no, YouTube. No, no. I'm going to tell you how to do it. I may invoice you, but I'm going to tell you how to do it. <laughs> well, hopefully you don't invoice me for this. No, no. But seriously, though, we're actually at the end of the show right now. Eddie right. or Mr. Garrison, whatever yeah. way you want to be addressed. Mr. Garrison goes too much back to South Park. So Eddie I, is fine. I literally was just thinking. Eddie is fine. Hey, that's not cool, oh, all I right? Know, I know. We want to talk to Mr. Hand, right? When, when that show came out, my last name took a beating. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, I thought of your last name because I'm a huge hockey fan. And yeah. there was this guy who played for my team, the Florida Panthers, whose last name was Garrison. He was a great defender. Jason. Yeah. Oh, you know him. Are you related? I'll refrain from saying on the air. Ooh, okay. Don't worry. I won't say anything. That's fine. But um, we're at the end of the show. Uh, Eddie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And so I I brought you on the show, one, not only because you are an active, participating, and nurturing member of PodFest. I only said it with a question because it's like you're inviting. There we go. You're a very inviting, welcoming person, and you made me feel like a part of that community. I try to as much as I can. And so when I spoke to you about, you know, what your background and how you exactly tied into PodFest, even though you're not a podcaster yourself, you are a videographer which obviously, as you yeah. see right here, is a very important part. <laughs> yeah. So telling us how to make our social media Definitely. game much better, that is why I think you, Eddie Garrison, have big DK energy. Love it. Yeah, with all that, I mean, if we're allowed, we're going to put all of Clover Media's links in the description box yes, below. Don't please. forget to, for both of us, comment, like, share, subscribe, follow. And before we head out, Eddie, is there anything else that you want to say or promote? Stay social. All right, so with that all being said and done, I'm Danny Kay of the Big DK Energy Podcast, and we are signing off.